Hello and welcome to this edition of the Matt Adams Podcast, coming to you semi-live from the southeast side of Indianapolis, Indiana, joined, as usual, by my co-host, my partner in crime, my wife, special correspondent, Ann Adams. Hello, everyone. You have as many titles as Howard has nicknames. <laughs> That's true. How many nicknames did we decide that we had for him? Like eight? We had like eight, I think. Wow. And it's an ever-expanding list. We have quite a few for all of our boys, though. Uh, could you reach that notebook over there? Uh, hold on. No, okay, okay, just like, I got it. Let me inspect or gadget my arm. Okay. Ah, never mind. I used my Jedi mind powers to get Matt to actually, uh, pick it up for me. (laughs) It was certainly not a go, go, gadget arm. Go, go, gadget arm situation. I was trying to do it in my mind, like, go, go, gadget arm. But when that didn't happen, I resorted to Jedi mind trick. Let's see. So, yeah, because I I was thinking about this. We have a lot of nicknames for our dog, Howard. And I was like, how many do we actually have? So I was kind of counting them in uh, my head the other night. I'm like, I'm going to just write them down. So let's see. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight. There was actually nine because there's kind of one that you use that yeah. that I don't use as often. So we'll just go through these really quickly. Oh, because... my gosh. Don't do it. It makes us sound like such losers. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> you can share one. You can share one. All right. We do like to call him our little spicy chorizo. <laughs> he is. He's got a lot of spunk, a lot of personality. Okay, I shared one. You share one more, and then we'll just we'll stop. We'll stop with the Howard nicknames. Okay. Um, I call him Captain Wigglebutt, <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I call him that is because uh, when he goes up and down the stairs, uh, he's a dachshund. So like he kind of has like this little wiggle when he goes up and down the stairs, and so I call him Captain Wigglebutt. So it, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been able to do a podcast. Just, uh, I guess, not uh, keeping too much of a schedule. We're getting toward the end of the year here. Well, so. it's life, holidays. I've been sick. We've been gone at one point. We went to Disney. I mean, it's just we we are off schedule, definitely. So we, we've got to get back on schedule. But uh, and, and a lot of times, as my my brother likes to point out too, we we do a a little bit more consistent job over the summer. Because a lot of this podcast is based kind of around movies and stuff that's coming out. Yeah. And you get into that sort of that dead period, release period at the end of August and through October. And so we have less to talk about there. We struggle sometimes coming up with show topics. And, you know, sometimes you just get home from work and you're just like, I don't want to do this tonight. No, but but in honor of all you wonderful folks who listen to our podcast religiously, we are going to try and focus and try to get a weekly podcast down to hopefully a certain day of the week that we will record. And we have decided to motivate ourselves yes. with pizza. That's right. So we are doing what's called podcast and pizza. That's right. This is the inaugural podcast and pizza night. Now, Anne had originally uh, suggested that we actually eat pizza during the podcast, but we thought that might yeah. be a little much. Uh, after after uh, long consideration, I realized that that might be a bit uncouth. Yeah, that was probably uh, your heart was in the right place. <laughs> Plus, well, and not only would they hear us chomping and, and, you know, quite frankly, just slobbering over this pizza, 
but we'd also have our dog trying to indeed Howard would try to, to eat the pizza. We could have turned it into like a review where we review the pizza, but then it'd be like, well, how many times do people want to hear us review the Totino's <laughs> frozen Ooh, pizza? Yeah, well tonight, uh, tonight's non-sponsor sponsor <laughs> is Papa John's Pizza. For all of you who uh, love pizza, uh, Papa John's is probably one of my favorite. Yeah, we have, um, it's not a disagreement of any type. It's not anything that jeopardizes our relationship or marital bliss. But Anne does really, really like Papa John's. And I'm kind of a Pizza Hut guy. Well, well, I'm now drifting back over to Pizza Hut. Because as I got older, I can't really handle the grease. Yeah, but I I think Pizza Hut's greasier than Papa John's. Well, that's what I'm saying. I can't really handle the grease. So... I, I really, I kind of stayed away from it, mm-hmm. but then we discovered, um, I always thought you could, you had to get kind of the, um, like the pan pizza. The, I didn't the best realize, pizza. Yeah. The pan pizza. I didn't realize that you could also get hand tossed pizza, mm-hmm. yeah, they which have is less greasy. Cause we'd always gotten the pan pizza. When yeah. I was because the pan pizza is the best pizza. It is good pizza, but it's just like, oh my gosh, I could only have a slice before my heart just like has some sort of revolution but i i love it as you can probably clearly tell oh, so my goodness so anyway we're going to try to motivate ourselves and uh you know whether it's a frozen pizza or a, a takeout <laughs> pizza uh have a pizza night uh, yeah. maybe even maybe sometime we'll get one of those pizza kits and put one together or something like that and that'll that'll help motivate us that's a quick meal and then we can watch an episode of Seinfeld or something and then get ourselves into the podcast mindset. Yes, that's what I told Matt. I said, tonight we have to watch two episodes of you know, Seinfeld because I have to get myself in the zone. So we, we did. The, the first one I really loved that we watched tonight was reverse, the reverse peephole. Yes. Which has got some great stuff in it. <laughs> uh, the second episode had some good moments, but uh, probably not one of my favorite episodes. There's some good. It's the one where... Uh, it's got Kathy Griffin in it and she's, uh, has the one man show about how Jerry Seinfeld's the devil. And probably my favorite part of that episode is when Newman approaches her at the cafe and he's like fangirling over her because (laughs) he loves her show. Yes. Uh, but the, the, and then the episode, the, one of the other lines or storylines is that Jerry's or, uh, George has a girlfriend that looks quite a bit like Jerry and it freaks them out and they're like, let's not ever talk about this again. (laughs) Kramer decides not to talk. In that episode, because his big mouth gets him in trouble with both Jerry and George, and then Elaine doesn't understand a cartoon in the New, in the New Yorker, so she uh, goes and confronts them about it, ends up pitching her own cartoon, and then ends up ripping off a Ziggy cartoon in the process, which is uh, worth it almost for the Jay Peterman. Uh, he's not got a very big role, but just a little cameo, a little scene in there where at the end he's like, "Someone ripped off a Ziggy to the archives." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's a good episode. I mean, I don't really enjoy Kathy Griffin. No, she's not no. my cup of tea when it comes to comedy. Um, and you know, Tracy Nelson, who plays George's girlfriend in that in that episode, she's not my favorite actress. I think just because I'm I'm weird, but I cannot handle her voice. I just oh, I can't I can't handle it. Well, it was it was sitting there in our on Plex. It tells you which episodes you've watched and which ones you haven't, and it had been flagged as one that we hadn't watched because we 
hadn't watched that one in a long time. The only other episode I think that we have not watched, and I, I could be wrong about this, but I know this applies to season nine. The only other episode we've not watched, uh, according to Plex, is the finale. Oh yeah, we're so, have to pull that one out. Uh, sometimes that's because like it's a forty-five minute episode because it's two parts so you know maybe we may not yeah. want to watch it but. and we know subliminally that george and elaine and kramer are bad people but that episode really just makes you realize that you have been enjoying a show that you know basically glorifies other people's pain yeah <laughs> and you, you the people that you love on that show are for fairly self-centered miserable yeah. human beings it's just like, oh. I, I think that's why that episode was uh, a downer for a lot of people. But uh, that's a debate from, uh, gosh, what year was that? 1998, I think. I think it ended in 1998, right? I can't remember if it was 98 or 99. Mm, uh, revoke my Seinfeld card. Probably 99, I would have guessed. If I had to guess, I would say probably 99. Although 98, 98 Oh, was it 98? Date. Yep. Okay. Well, revoke my Seinfeld card then. Uh, we both have a both have our Seinfeld not revoked, just temporarily suspended. <laughs> so uh, we got a couple of topics we're going to cover for the show today. Uh, first, we're going to talk about A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which is the Mr. Rogers, uh, Tom Hanks' Mr. Rogers movies that uh, opened a few weeks ago. We did go see that at the theater, so we'll give you our thoughts on that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit of Mandalorian and how Baby Yoda has taken over the universe and then uh, probably talk a little Rise of Skywalker. We're about two weeks out from that release. I'm pretty excited. Anne's pretty excited about that. There's some new TV spots and stuff that have been released. So first, let's uh, let's talk about that Tom Hanks movie, Han. Okay. What'd you think of it uh, overall? Well, I really liked it. I mean, I think that um, I think Tom Hanks was an interesting choice to play Mr. Rogers. Mm -hmm. But I think it was a good choice. Oh, yes. In that, you know, Tom Hanks is probably one of the nicest guys in Hollywood. He's sort of like an everyday... He kind of comes off as like an everyday guy. Yeah, sort of America's dad and, yeah. and maybe America's grandfather now that he's getting up there a little bit. Yeah, it's hard to believe that it he's is. that old. It is. I mean, I, my goodness. And... Uh, but it, I think that's why he pulls off Mr. Rogers so well. I think if I were to first look at him, I'd say, mm, what? Really? And But then the more I thought about it as to what kind of a person he was, and then after I saw how they had kind of made him up, um, he was able to pull it off, I think. Well, and, and the fact that we found out that through Ancestry.com that he's, what, like six cousins with Mr. Rogers Yeah, they, there's Mr. some Rogers distant uh, relationship. They have a common ancestor that's just kind of nuts. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. But, yeah, I thought he did a really great job. He got the voice down really well. And just kind of like those small mannerisms, you know, the way Fred Rogers used to talk in that very... I mean, even to the shoe toss. Yes. You yeah. know, when he would put on his shoes and That's his what got me was the shoe toss. Yeah. Was... And it was just really, it was great because you kind of had this, he gave off this good feeling vibe. Yes. Fred Rogers always gave off this good feeling vibe. And he talked to you in not really like a patronizing voice, but he talked to you in just like a really, like a friend, like mm -hmm. a kind friend, not like an adult to a kid, but like from a friend to another friend. And he, 
I think that came from his time when he was a minister. And I think that, you know, he just kind of. Just one of those people that he just, he just he makes you people. feel at ease about yeah. things. Everything's going to be okay. Stop and listen to what he has to say. And he never sounds judgmental or patronizing no. or anything like and that. And I think Tom Hanks did a great job of sort of embracing that. And really making, not really doing like a, he didn't do an imitation of Fred. No, no. He basically kind of internalized who he was, what he sounded like, and it kind of came out in its own way. And it worked. I thought it was really good. And it, it was interesting to me because the movie opens with him doing, you know, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, singing the song, doing the opening, changing the, the cardigan and all that stuff as he would do, as Mr. Rogers would do on his show. And so, in a way, the movie itself is almost the frame story told through an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It was an interesting choice, I and, thought. And, like, they have scenes, you know, where they'll have transitions where somebody's, like, flying from one city to another or something like that. In a regular movie, <laughs> you would see that as, you know, stock footage or, you know, they would film a plane flying and, and landing where they'd have a, you know, a drone shot of a cityscape or something like that. But it blew my mind the first time it happened. Uh, all their scenes when they go from one city to the next are, uh, they've set it up in the style of the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood opening. Yeah, with like the little... Miniatures and yeah, figures and stuff. Yeah, the miniature cars and planes. And, and very cheap special effects. Very homemade special effects. It's very cool. It's really cute. It, it's just, yeah, it, it kind of puts you in that frame of mind throughout the movie and i i thought that was neat and i thought maybe they would do it for like the first scene uh, you know just to kind of a transition and be cute but they did it throughout the whole movie like when they were doing exterior shots of like the character's home it was in the style of mr rogers neighborhood and mm -hmm. the miniatures and stuff like that they had the plane landing and it was clearly <laughs> kind of this homemade special effect of someone yeah. taking the plane and skidding it across the runway um, and then the interesting thing about it is, you know, it's the big deal is that Tom Hanks is in the movie and he plays Mr. Rogers and it's called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood and you can't deny the influence of Fred Rogers on the movie, but really, even though that's the draw of the movie, he's not the main character of the movie. He plays a significant supporting role. The story really is about a guy, a journalist, who, you know, has kind of gotten... Uh, beaten down by life a little bit, doesn't have a good relationship with his father, and, you know, kind of values work over family, and he's assigned to do a piece, a puff piece, on Mr. Rogers, and through the course of meeting him, you know, Mr. Rogers learns his son's name, and his wife's name, and calls his wife and talks to her on the phone, and this guy then realizes that, you know, Mr. Rogers isn't some fake fraud charlatan or anything like that. This is a guy who really does care about people, and they connect, and so this guy, uh, because of the way that Fred Rogers has kind of influenced him, tries to repair his relationship with his father, who is, is dying. Uh, it's very, very, very loosely based on a true story, uh, but there are some good performances in this. Uh, you know, Chris Cooper plays the dad who was a drunk and ran off on the family and stuff and is desperately trying to repair his relationship with his family before he dies because he knows the end's coming soon and his son ha wants nothing, the main character wants nothing, uh, wants nothing to do with him. You know, he wants to have nothing to do with him. 
And so, but boy, when, when Chris Cooper hits those end scenes, like when they kind of finally reconnect, he's really, it's, it's good stuff. It's powerful stuff. I guess the, the thing you have to consider when you watch the movie is, do you like the main character enough? Uh, Cause he's not, he's not like a terrible person, but he's not really all that interesting. And then he's also not a very nice person. <laughs> and so you're kind of like, do you really care if this guy turns it around or not? I think that might be the sticking point for a lot of people. Well, I think the way that they were able to salvage that is that by looking at this guy's life, they were able to give very small sort of hints and kind of reflections back on Fred Rogers. You know, they talked about how Fred didn't have the easiest mm-hmm. childhood. Yep. He was overweight. He went to the ministry. He went into the ministry and he enjoyed um, the ministry. But, you know, he wasn't always that kind, even-tempered person. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he had fits of temper. You know, he had emotions. He had trouble um, with one of his sons, especially. One of his sons. That didn't have a great relationship when he was younger in his teenage years. So, you know, he had his own difficulties. But the thing about him was that he was able, not only through his relationship with God, but by kind of going through the motions and kind of, you know, really trying to look at himself and how he could be a better person and how he could give something to society, you know, he was able to help others. You know, he realized not only by talking to his own kids, but by, you know, just relating to people on a certain level that he was able to make a difference. But yeah, there were moments where, you know, when you're talking, you know, you can only take so much depression from Lloyd, that mm-hmm. guy in the mm-hmm. movie. But there are like, um, there are just little bits of Fred Rogers that get reflected back that, you know, they kind of put in the movie. And I think that makes it interesting. You don't get just completely bored mm-hmm. with, you know, with that guy. You get, you know, something else of, you know, where, you know, he's Fred, you know, is talking about his experiences to kind of make Lloyd feel comfortable or to kind of help, you know, Lloyd through a situation. And I think that that's, that's, you know, that works, that helps balance things a bit. You, you could almost look at Mr. Rogers in this movie sort of in a way, sort of like Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. You know, he just good. sort of pops in at opportune moments because yeah. I, I, we don't see a lot of scenes of just Fred Rogers by himself. He's usually no. with the main character or, you know, he's doing something off screen. Well, and the one time we get to see Fred Rogers by himself is at the very end of the movie. It was after he goes to, after Fred goes to, I think it was sometime after Fred goes to visit Lloyd and his dad. He sits with the family and he's, you know, kind of helping them talk about death. It's almost like he's on his own show, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and he's talking with them. And before he leaves, he kind of kneels down and he was talking to Chris um, Cooper and he whispers something in Chris's ear, you know, his character's ear. And then as they're leaving, Lloyd says, what did you, what did you say to him? And he said, 
I asked him to pray for me. And it's just like Mr. Rogers, the man who taught everyone how to feel, who taught everyone everything, you know, people from my generation, everything from how to tie your shoes to how to deal with, you know, um, emotional issues, mm-hmm. fights, death, you know, um, it, it's it's hard to imagine that that man had any flaws and that he would ask somebody so close to death, so close to going to see God to pray for him. It's like, put in a good word for me. Yeah. When get there. It's just like, wow. It's, and then, you know, he's in the studio after a day of filming by himself and he's playing the piano because he did uh, go to, um, when he was in college, he studied music before he went to the seminary. And I think that's how he met his wife. If I remember right, he was sitting there playing and he's just playing the most beautiful melody. And all of a sudden you hear him go bong on the, on the keyboard. And he just hits the keyboard really, really hard. Like he's angry about something. And then he stops for a second and then he starts playing again. And it kind of goes back to when he was talking to Lloyd about how, how you can deal with your, you know, frustration, your anxiety, your 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 anger anger. and all that. And uh, he said, you know, you can play all the keys on a key, you know, on the piano all down at the same time. And it's just kind of fascinating because it kind of gives you a glimpse that when he's by himself, he has his own problems. He has his own issues, but he's able through, you know, his faith and everything to put that aside and help other people. Yeah, I thought that's a true gift of Mr. Rogers. I I just I thought it was uh, a wonderful movie maybe not to me as deeply affecting as won't you be my neighbor no no way yeah uh, but it does tell a nice mr rogers adjacent story yeah and tom hanks is good you think you think he'll get an oscar nomination as best supporting actor for this uh, and if he does do you think he just gets it because he's tom hanks as I mr was rogers say, if unfortunately if he gets it i think it's because he's tom hanks i don't think it's because fred rogers deserves it in his own right I wouldn't be very upset and surprised if they didn't, um, cause didn't, when did, won't you be my neighbor come out? That was last year. Okay. Yeah. And it didn't make it to the Oscar season, did it? It, 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 it was not nominated. Somehow it was not nominated in the best documentary category. Well, that's what I was thinking. And my years run together. That should have been nominated for oh, absolutely. something because that was an amazing documentary. It really was. It was just, yeah, that that was a crime that that didn't get nominated for something. Yeah, I mean, I can see Tom Hanks getting nominated, um, but I think it would be because Tom Hanks. Because he's Tom Hanks and he was in Saving I mean, no, Private Ryan no in Philadelphia to, and all those movies. No offense to Tom Hanks. I mean, pretty much any character he takes, he does great with. But I think, yeah, I, I really. I was, just, I was just curious what you what you thought about that because being a uh, you know November release, uh, usually uh, a November release is one of two things: it's a family movie that's going to make a lot of that they're hoping will make a lot of money at the box or it's office, Oscar bait, or it's Oscar bait, and and this is kind of one where they're kind of like, eh, we want to make some money with it, and it's a family movie, but really we we would like to have it's a prestige movie yeah. with Tom Hanks. You know, in a, in a role that, you know, he doesn't chew the scenery or anything like that, but it's a meaty role for him and uh, definitely something that I could see him getting nominated for. I don't know what the awards buzz is on anything. We don't usually find that out till a bit later in the year, but uh, I, I thought 
I thought he might get one, but if he does, I think it's like you said, I think it's mostly because it's Tom Hanks and he's playing Mr. Rogers Yeah. in the movie. All right, so that's that's a capsule review of A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I was going to call it Won't You Be My Neighbor. <laughs> they should really sell those in like a two-pack Blu-ray set. I really loved that documentary. That was oh, really, really good. I think that and then They Shall Not Grow Old were probably the best documentaries we saw within the last year or two. And I don't think either of them got nominated for an Oscar. Which is very, which is absolutely tragic. despicable. In the high stakes world of movie awards, it's a tragedy, Anne. Yeah, that, that just makes me sick. Won't you be an I, my neighbor definitely deserved to uh, get nominated. So that'll close off uh, that topic. Next, we're going to talk some Star Wars. And uh, I'm not quite sure how we should approach this because it's it's Thursday now. Uh, tomorrow's Friday, or the next day will be Friday. So by the time people listen to this, it'll probably be Friday. So a new episode of The Mandalorian will have dropped. We obviously don't have any spoilers for that episode, but we've got spoilers to kind of talk about from the other episodes because we talked maybe about the first episode, I think, on the podcast and a few weeks have passed. So just in general terms... What do you think of the Star Wars TV show on Disney Plus? I like it. I like it a lot. I think they're taking a character that's really not very well known and really sort of fleshing it out within the post, you know, um, I almost said Last Jedi, the post Return of the Jedi Mm -hmm. world of Star Wars. So you have some familiarity, but at the same time, you have something new in Star Wars. And that's kind of what people crave. I mean, they they crave familiarity, but nothing repetitive. Yeah, they don't want carbon copies. Yeah, exactly. So the fact that they're taking somebody that looks sort of familiar, but isn't familiar and comes from a whole different background, different culture, um, it's just really fascinating. I just, I think it's neat. And of course, (laughs) Baby Yoda yeah, it was great because, uh, you know, they, they kept Baby Yoda under wraps for a long time. And they they needed to. They wanted to make sure that fans got to enjoy that moment and everything. But then after a while, people just started talking about nothing but Baby Yoda on that show. And so <laughs> Disney was like, you know, okay, well, on our Twitter account, we're going to post a picture of Baby Yoda. So now it's safe for everybody to talk about it because Disney has ordained that we can talk about it kind of. <laughs> Kind of funny that way. Well, Disney is like God in a way in this world. Well, so. from the entertainment standpoint, you're not too far from being correct on that. <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, that was definitely a surprise when he went and got the bounty, and that's what the bounty was. It was like, oh my gosh, it's a little baby Yoda. Of course, people like to argue about the name. Um, some people get offended because they're like, well, it's not Yoda as a baby. It's not a clone of Yoda, probably. We know, but we just don't know what it is. We don't know what a species is, so we're going to call it Baby Yoda because calling it a young being that looks sort of like Yoda because he's from the same species does not roll off the tongue and does not fit well <laughs> on a carded action figure. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they, they, have, they, they knew this was going to be big, but they held it back for a bit. But I don't think they could have held it back for too much because... John Favreau and Dave Filoni said they held off on merchandise for Baby Baby Yoda because they didn't want there to be spoilers out there before people got to have the surprise. That I get. Um, So they didn't have any of that merchandise out beforehand. However, t-shirts and sweatshirts and Funko Pops and plush dolls are now in production. 
I think you can get the t-shirts and the sweatshirts right now. Funko Pops and like uh, vinyl plush toys and stuff like that. It's going to it's gonna be a little while. they they got to ramp up the production on that. Um, but they, ha- they had to have known, right? I mean, the people putting this show together, Disney... They love money and they love selling stuff to to little baubles to, to people. Something that freaking cute is gonna just, I mean, take off. I mean, remember Baby Groot from 2014 with yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy, or Olaf from Frozen. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything absolutely adorable and cute is gonna just make the money hand over fist. And it, Baby Yoda is just adorable. And he has some really fun comedic moments without even saying anything. I loved it when they were in the, when they were in, okay, we're just going to say spoilers for the Mandalorian, uh, episodes one through, I think five. Is that right? Yeah. I, I think that's correct. That is correct. I have to look it up real quick on Disney plus. So, and you talk about something for a, a few seconds while <laughs> I look it up. I want to talk about all the Baby Yoda memes. Like, have you have you seen those? Those gifts and those memes of Baby Yoda? There's some really great ones out there. One of my favorites is the one where um, he is standing there watching the Mandalorian fight another bounty hunter. And he's got, like, this little cup of broth. Oh, it's great. And he's, like, sitting there drinking it while he's watching the whole fight go down. And I always, and he's got kind of this look on his face, and it says, Baby Yoda's judging you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's some good memes. Uh, and there have been four episodes so far. So uh, n- tomorrow would be uh, Friday's episode. The December 6th episode will be the fifth episode of The Mandalorian. Uh, so anyway, spoilers for episodes one through four. Uh, the, the, the bounty hunter, The Mandalorian, you know, gets Baby Yoda, and he takes him for the bounty, and he collects uh, the bounty for him. And uh, while they were on their ride home, he kept twisting the knob off of the control panel, off the little lever <laughs> yes. on the ship. And, uh, you know, the Mandalorian was like, stop it, and screws it back on, and it just kept, you know, happened a couple of times. So he goes, and he meets the client, he turns Baby Yoda over. He doesn't feel great about it, but he's getting his best Gar steel. And he can kind of try to grow his way toward being a true Mandalorian and all that such stuff. And, you know, then he uh, gets a job as quickly as possible. He gets on the ship and he looks at the control lever and it's missing the top. And he's like, damn it, that thing is cute. I got to go. I got to go rescue baby. Armor Yoda. be damned. I'm going to go rescue baby. Yoda. So, well, he'd already gotten his armor. Oh, that's you know? right. Yeah. He'd already gotten his armor. Uh, it was kind of nice because he got the bounty, but he also got baby Yoda back. So he had to fight his way out. Had to fight though, his way out. Still. And then of course that made all of the people mad at him, all of the people in the bounty hunter guild. So he had to fight all of them off. And then in what was just like a pure, uh, action figures, uh, playing with action figures moment, then, like, all these Mandalorians came and saved It was sort of end. like Avengers Assemble, it was in cool. a way. Yeah. It was very cool. You had the one Mandalorian with, like, the big, like, huge gun, huge blaster yes. gun, and uh, that was really neat, and it was just, you know, it was great, and um, I, I kind of like it, uh, how it's paced, because the, the, the fourth episode was sort of a standalone episode. Uh... Old Western trope, a town in trouble, hero rides into town, doesn't want to have anything to do with them. 
then has a crisis of conscience and decides so he's going to help the people fight for the fight the bad guys, you know, kind of a Magnificent Seven or even really, even though he's not an actor in a silent film, Three Amigos, uh, kind of that plot. You know, they go into the town and the people need help and he decides he's going to help them. And it had some really neat fight scenes in that one, especially when they uh, went up against the Scout Walker at the end of that one. Um uh, did you see that episode was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard? I did. Yeah. I was like, wow. I didn't know she directed stuff. I guess she does. Multi-talented uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Mm-hmm. Uh, her dad directed a Star Wars movie a couple years ago. Solo, you may have remembered that movie. Oh, yeah. I remember a little movie <laughs> called Solo, for sure. But, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Now, we can't, uh, d- we can't forget to tell them about when, before they headed to that um, planet where they were trying to help the little village from being decimated by, what were those things? They were like an alien race. Uh, I think they were, oh gosh. Uh, I can't remember their names. They said I thought they said once. they were Klaatu, Klaatuian something. I, I don't remember exactly. But when they got, he took Baby Yoda onto the ship, and they were trying to decide where they were going, and they were sitting there, and Baby Yoda took the <laughs> took the little... Didn't he twist it he off? Twisted and, it, he twisted it off. Because Baby and gave Yoda it. was trying to reach for it, and so he just twisted it off and, and handed it to him. He was like, "Here, play with this kid." <laughs> or when they're um, when they're right. My favorite is the opening of four when they're like riding in the um, cockpit of the plane, and they're getting ready to land on the planet because they were trying to figure out where they could go. Away. They needed somewhere off the grid, you they know, get away from all these people who are after us. And Baby Yoda's kind of in the jump seat next to him. And Baby Yoda reaches over. I mean, just, it's so perfect because he's just like a little toddler, you know. He like, he, even though he's like 50 years old, he's like a little toddler. And he reaches over and he, he, he clicks this little button. And he's like, <laughs> That's right. and the Mandalorian's like, don't do that. And he like clicks turns it, it back on. And he goes, and the little baby just looks at him. I mean, literally, swear to God, looks at him and just reaches over and <laughs> clicks it again. And he's like, no, stop it. And he like clicks it off. And Baby Yoda, like, starts to move again. And finally, he just grabs him and picks him moves up and him. moves him over. <laughs> sits him on his lap. So he's away from the lover. But it's just so perfect because it just captures. A, he's very much like a toddler. But at the same time, he's like this really sort of wise 50-year-old mm-hmm. being yep. that... Um, obviously we weren't expecting when they said the bounty was 50 years old, we weren't expecting to get baby Yoda. No, no, not at all. But, um, but, but he's very wise. He can use the force really well. I mean, so it's just kind of this fun mixture. That was, uh, that episode where he had to go, he ran up against some Jawas, the Mandalorian, and, uh, they took all the parts from his ship because their Jawas... And they needed something, so he had to go get this egg, and he had to fight this creature to get this egg. Things did not go well for the Mandalorian during that particular <laughs> incident, and he was about to get gored by this thing. And then all of a sudden, uh, before impact, uh, the the beast starts like floating up in the air and spinning. And then they show a shot of Baby Yoda, and he is using the Force. Yeah, he's got his little hand up, mm-hmm. and he's tr- and he's like got his little eyes closed in concentration, and he's holding the. And then he sleeps for like days. I was after gonna say, that. and that that spent a lot, expelled a lot of energy. 
at doing that. He but- also likes to heal people. I remember when the Mandalorian got hurt and he got out of his little bassinet and he walked over and he like tried to like reach out and heal him and he's like, no, get back in your bassinet. <laughs> and he puts him back in and then next thing you know, he looks over and he's like walking over toward him. He's like, no. Getting your bassinet. <laughs> he didn't realize that he was trying to heal him. It was really cute. And I thought it was funny, too, because we, we saw him eat an animal in one of the episodes. And then those kids were chasing this, like, frog creature. Oh, yeah. And they, they could never catch it. And then at the end of that fourth episode, Baby Yoda catches the frog. He's got the frog halfway in his mouth, but, like, the kids are sort of, like, horrified by it or upset. And so he just lets the frog go. <laughs> yeah. The kids are like, oh! oh. <laughs> so he lets the frog go. Um, and, and then that, that point where they're, uh, the Mandalorian's fighting with uh, Cara Dune, the, the, mm-hmm. uh, who used to be a, a rebel shock trooper, apparently. They end up on the same planet. And um, they end up working together. But of course, in classic uh, trope tradition, they have to fight each other first before they learn to respect one another. And so they're, like, rolling around on the ground at each other, and then they're, like, pointing their guns at each other at the very end of the fight. Mm-hmm. And then Baby Yoda had toddled out, and like you said, he's holding the little the little cup of broth, and he's just sort of looking at him. He's <laughs> like, okay, Mom and Dad, what are you doing? My favorite, though, is um, when he has he even, the Mandalorian even got a love interest in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. I didn't realize it would be so soon, but, like, one of the ladies who's sort of like the... The, the, the kick-ass like, tough widow of the town. Yeah, kind of like, yeah, the kick-ass tough widow. The frontier the woman. I like that. Yeah, that's perfect description for her. Um, and she has a little bit of a thing with him. and But, of course, he can't take off his helmet. So she doesn't even know what he looks like. And, of course, they can't kiss because he can't even take off his helmet. I mean, he could be a green or orange skid lizard monkey under that thing for all she knows. <laughs> But we know who is under there, but she doesn't know. But I just thought that was really interesting that they already, I mean, it's only like episode four and they've already given him a, sort of a bit of a love interest. You, you think we'll see her again? You think they planted a seed with that or do you think they'll move oh, on? Oh, I'm sure we'll see. We'll see it. We'll see her again. You think, and we'll or definitely. maybe he'll be like the Han Solo of that side of the galaxy and just kind of. He's kind of like the rogue. I was just thinking the other day about Lando Calrissian and how, like, uh, by the time we get to the rise of Skywalker, <laughs> we're thinking about how many illegitimate children. Lando that there actually Calrissian. is a Lando system because <laughs> it's the system that Aunt Lando has, you know, populated with his Landoness. <laughs> that would be a pretty good joke if they if they followed up on that in the rise of Skywalker. They won't, but. That's you know, because awesome. there's that line in Empire Strikes Back, the Lando system, oh, Lando's not a system, he's a man. Well, if in The Rise of Skywalker, you know, he followed all these children and they just call it the Lando system. I think that would be <laughs> hilarious. But see, you got to have somebody that's, you know, and that would have been perfect for like Luke or somebody who had lived through all that. Or like Leia, if she had lived, you know, if Carrie Fisher had lived, that would have been a great throwaway line. For yeah, her. yeah, well, like, they, there's nobody that could deliver that line. No, now. not anymore. They're all dead. Chewie could, but it would be in... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's a bad Chewbacca. <laughs> it would be in, what, Wookiees or however, how do they, what's the language? I can't remember what I, the language is. I thought it was is. just called Wookiee. 
Oh. I don't oh. speak Wookiee. Oh. I don't know. Maybe it's hmm. Wookiees. Hmm. Kashikian. Kashikian. <laughs> kind of reminds me of Dr. Gaborkian. Kind of oh. has that ring to it. That's that's lovely. That's good. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, uh, I guess the question for a lot of people is, is uh, the Mandalorian worth the seven ninety nine or the seven dollars a month for Disney Plus? What do you think? I think all of it is worth it. To be honest, you know, you have access to, you know, shows from like the old wonderful world of Disney. I mean, and then of course shows that movies that I grew up with. Um, they're gonna have some really. They have some great original content on there, like The Mandalorian. Uh, they're going to have a movie that I'm looking forward to called Togo with William Defoe. I saw you posted the trailer for that this morning. That is really fascinating. Um, I did not. We were. Ju- I was telling you about that last night, and I only had a passing knowledge of it. So you said, oh, so you mean Balto. I did not realize it is sort of the same thing as Balto. It's just a different uh, spin on it. Yes, because Balto, I mean, they were both, Balto and Togo were both, um, they were contemporaries. Is, yes, is that is were, that the understanding that I have? They were both uh, sled dogs, to kind of go off on a tangent. But um, yeah, we're really not talking Mandalorian now. <laughs> um, but Togo is basically um, it's about a sled dog who was uh, part of the great race of mercy or whatever they called it the um, the serum the nineteen twenty five serum run. Um, for it was a diphtheria yes. out, outbreak. Yeah, 1925, there was a diphtheria outbreak in Nome, Alaska, which was a very small town. And mostly it was children that had it. Um, and of course, if you know anything about diphtheria, which is no longer really a, a known disease that a lot of people are familiar with or even get anymore. But uh, diphtheria kind of, it looks like the common cold but it basically, it's like a bacteria that develops in your nose, throat, and lungs. And it kind of creates like this gray film that basically just clogs up everything and you eventually suffocate and, and die. Good way, good way to go. So it's basically, it kind of manifests as like pneumonia or like a common cold or you know, kind of even flu-like symptoms. And then just gets progressively yeah. worse. So yeah. by the time the doctors figured out what it was... Too late. It was too, too late. Too late for a lot of people. And so a lot of kids died, and they were... It's highly contagious, so a lot of people were getting infected. And um, it was during uh, the winter, and obviously February in Alaska, and they were, um, they were out of antitoxin serum to treat diphtheria and the closest place that could send it um, was Anchorage. And of course all the ports were closed to Nome because it was the winter time. Everything was frozen on the Bering Sea. So uh, they decided to run the mail route to get the serum from the closest train station, which was Nanana to Nome. So there was a mal- a mail route that went from Nanana through the frontier to Nome. So they decided to do like a relay uh, with, I can't remember how many, I think it was like 20 
20 mushers, 20, uh, 20 mushers to do like a relay from Nanana to Gnome. And Togo and his, um, Sledder, uh, his name was Leonard Seppala. His name was William <laughs> Defoe. <laughs> AKA William Defoe. Um, he was Norwegian. And he basically was a really famous sled dog breeder um, in Alaska. And he had, like, won a lot of races, uh, sledding races, with um, his dog, Togo, who by the time this happened was, like, 12 years old. So he was in, like, the older, you know, the older part of his life. And so there was even doubt that Togo could do something like this because they were going to be going, I can't remember how many miles they covered. I want to say it was like at least a hundred miles. It was a long way. We'll just say that. But their leg was quite long and challenging. And it was challenging. It was the, there was, theirs was like the middle part of the trek. So it was over, like, probably the worst part of the frontier. It was, like, below 65. It was, like, 65 below zero. Um, it, I mean, there was, like, blizzard conditions. I mean, he could hardly see anything. I mean, it was ridiculous. So they basically made it through the roughest part of the relay and then handed it off uh, to one of the other sledders who then handed it off on the final leg to, um, Kossin, I think is his name. Um, he was the, um, the musher that had Balto on his team. Balto was basically the dog that made it the last leg to Nome and brought the serum to gnome and he that's why he was the most well-known everybody knows balto he had a cartoon yeah. uh back in the 90s i think but as i was reading about this because this relay race would inspire the iditarod mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because the iditarod basically kind runs of, does it trace the same path yeah it traces like half of the path that they took from nanana to gnome so it basically kind of comes up from juno and then gets on that path. Do you know goes, what you're talking about? <laughs> I don't know. Do I? <laughs> Do know I? <laughs> Who doesn't want to wear the ribbon? Sorry. I... <laughs> what do you mean you don't want to wear an AIDS ribbon? <laughs> Who? Who doesn't want to wear the ribbon? You have to do the R roll. I can't. Ribbon. But um, I'm not very good at rolling my R's either. But... Um, yeah, so, and they were, and a lot of the mushers actually took great offense to Balto, like, becoming, like, and Kaysen becoming the stars, or Kossin, or however Because it was a name. team effort, right? Mm hmm But, if you go to Alaska with the Iditarod, um, Togo and his uh, musher, uh, Sepala, are actually more well-known in Alaska. Is it, and that's interesting. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, Togo is, is it Toga or Togo? Togo. Togo. Right, not Toga. Togo. Toga. Toga. Togo. Togo. It's going to be, I can't remember, it's, I think it's like December 12th or something like that. That's going to be on Disney. And uh, It's a Disney Plus exclusive. I'm just very excited because it's going to have Willem Dafoe in it. I like Willem Dafoe. 
Plus, it's got cute little dogs. I, yeah. I've always loved Willem Dafoe. And if you've never seen the Disney animated film Balto, you also have to watch that because that is believe, one I, of my I favorites. I don't know that Balto's a Disney film. I think it was. Matt is con- Matt is consulting our mentor and priest, Google. Tell us, Google. <laughs> Google. Yeah, that was uh, Universal Pictures and Amblin Entertainment. Oh, so it wasn't a Disney. Well, excuse moi. Maybe it's because it was on the Disney Channel a lot when I was a kid. Maybe that's why I associated with Disney. But I really loved that movie when I was a kid. I don't think I've ever seen Balto. Shut up. Well, my favorite uh, part of the movie, it's very, it takes liberties. But Oh, really? Do the dogs talk? <laughs> Yes, but uh, there's also uh, the polar bear, and there's like a pelican. uh, No, a goose. I'm sorry. He's a goose. His name is Boris, and he's Balto's friend and mentor. And then there are the two polar bears that are uh, also his friends that are part of the, the movie and... It's such a great movie. Oh, so that wraps up our discussion of The Mandalorian here on the Madness <laughs> Podcast. Is there something more that you want to add? <laughs> no, I saw the trailer for uh, Togo, and I'm like, oh, we've got we to gotta watch that. It's William Dafoe with a bunch of dogs. Yeah. It's going to be great. I mean, come on. It's, it's a Disney Dafoe. movie. It'll, it'll be better than that one with Paul, from, uh, Paul Walker from a few years ago. I forget, oh. I forget what that one was called. Eight Below? I think so, yeah. Is that the one? Or is that the one with Cuba Gooding Jr.? I think, I think Snow Dogs is the one with Cuba Gooding Jr. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, no, you're think. right. Yeah. I think. Okay. So, so Willem Dafoe steps into the history, the storied history of uh, <laughs> dog, <laughs> dog sled movies. <laughs> All right. So uh, original. Yeah, let's, uh, let's wrap things up here real quick with, uh, we're two weeks out from Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of TV spots. We watched a few of them the other day. Uh, apparently, the stormtroopers can fly now, which I thought yeah. was kind of a funny, yeah. a funny which little is, scene. That was such a great scene. They, they can fly now. They can fly now. <laughs> they can fly now. I, I enjoyed that. That's probably from early in the movie. Uh, boy, there's just a lot going on that we still don't know about this movie. Uh, it looks like Ray and Kylo Ren challenge each other like three or four times. Based and on them being against each other? Together at least one time? I, I don't know. Uh, we have seen a group shot of the Knights of Ren. So we know they're definitely in the movie somewhere. Some sort of family reunion, awkward Thanksgiving, I don't know. Uh, we, we have Sith Troopers who are stormtroopers yeah. with red armor. I guess they are Kylo Ren's personal guard. Where were they for, like, the last two movies? That's what I was wondering. I didn't know if maybe that's an offshoot of the guards that Snoke had in The Last Jedi. Those guys wore red armor. They were more Imperial guards than, than Stormtroopers, but um, perhaps... And we didn't see that. We didn't even see them in The Force Awakens. No, no, they weren't in The Force Awakens. Like, when he comes off the ship and stuff? Yeah. I don't even... You would have thought they would have been with there. Him. Yeah, that's very strange. Uh, hmm. so, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, there's Sith troopers, and then there's like a Sith jetpack trooper. So they must have borrowed the technology from the jump troopers. Wow! From uh, earlier that we that we were talking about. Basically, they're just trying to 
throw in some more bells and whistles to make up for The Last Jedi and how much it sucked. <laughs> oh. Have you come to that uh, conclusion after uh, two years that The Last after, Jedi sucks? After two years and much thought and contemplation, uh, yeah. Wow. I didn't realize the sucked word was in there. Well, yeah. It has some good points. It does. It does. But I'm not. Same... I'm not a rabid uh, Last Jedi defender. Uh, some people are. Uh, some people are uh, rabid anti uh, Last Jedi. I'm sort of middle of the road on it. So we yeah. like. I mean, you go back. You listen to our podcast. You definitely tell that there were things that we really, really liked about the movie. And there were things that we really, really did not like about the movie. I think the general consensus for most people is that it sucked compared to The Force Awakens. People, I think universally that most people really did enjoy The Force Awakens. Uh, It was a fun kind of uplifting uh, Star Wars adventure. The Last Jedi was not. Well, and The Last Jedi was very pivotal in that it really kind of set the tone for what direction they were not only going to take the Rey Kylo Ren relationship but also how the characters were going to sort of go forward like how um how their personalities would form you know especially with ray you know because she was kind of growing into her power uh kylo ren was sort of teetering between light and dark and it's just like they just ryan johnson royally effed it up wow opinion I really think that they really should have just kept the same director. It was like freaking Twilight when they had like six different directors for all the movies. And it was ridiculous. And it became just this big crap show. So when we're, we're not going to rewatch The Last Jedi before we watch The Rise of Skywalker? We can. I mean, I don't hate it that much. I mean, How about it sucked? Hate is a stronger word than sucked. I was I was just uh, sort of uh, doing my Elaine Bennis impression from the English Patient <laughs> episode. It's always come back to Seinfeld if you we have referenced Seinfeld at least three times now. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they play off that. I I think I do have a lot of uh, some regrets about the Last Jedi. A lot of it being I really do think that separating the characters that um, hadn't really had a chance to really hang out all that much in the first movie was not a good idea. And then having it be set up to happen moments after the end of The Force Awakens also did not allow uh, time for your characters to develop a little bit. Yeah. Well, and then they also, you know, Finn got a love interest. Poe is weirdly... Uh, sort of becoming the Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then Kylo Ren and Rey, I don't know what their relationship is. Undefined, apparently. Yeah, undefined. Uh, although they have, you know, touched each other inside their minds. I don't know. Something, I don't know. Yeah. It's very awkward. I just, I don't know what Ryan Johnson was doing. I have no clue. He tried to do something artistic, and you can't do that with well, you, The Last hey, Jedi. I- Empire Strikes Back's the most spiritual and artistic of the original trilogy movies, and he was trying to do the same thing. It's just very weird. Uh, including, like, an Adat Walker assault on a rebel base, and... Well, and it, it just, it didn't, it didn't feel like the Empire Strikes Back. It was something completely... And then we had a casino planet that was nothing like Bespin. 
Meanwhile, in a different movie, yeah, that's that, what that it did felt have, like. That, that is what, really, That that I think anyway, that script needed a, a few more this months is, in This the shouldn't cooker. be a Last Jedi rant. Well, I, I was I was not going to say anything, really, about The Last Jedi, but then you were very strongly uh, telling me how you felt about this. And honestly, I knew that we had some reservations about the movie, but I didn't realize that it was your... Um, well, it was your opinion that it, in Elaine Bennis's words, sucked. <laughs> the more I thought about it, the more I've had to sort of marinate with it over the last year or two between the movies. It's like, yeah, the consensus is, in my opinion, it sucked. I think it's very divisive among fans. I think people, because uh, it's got a really good rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Critically, it's it was really well received, but I don't think it has the universal love of fans, and and that's kind of why Star Wars is where it is right now. Well, because uh, people were dissatisfied with that movie, then they came out with Solo six months later. That movie flopped in Star Wars terms because they put it two weeks after Avengers: Infinity War. Yeah, and uh, there was a lot of holdover from that. So, you know, they they've canceled some Star Wars projects, but. Now, Mandalorian, I think, has brought some people back into the fold. Um, and I guess it's just up to J.J. Abrams to close out this sequel trilogy and try to yeah. pick up the things that Ryan Johnson left behind. And, and still, we've talked about this before. We've been on an extended rant about this, about how it's unfathomable that Disney did not have a master plan for this three-movie trilogy, that they were literally just going to have J.J. Abrams do his movie, then have Ryan Johnson do his movie, and then have Colin Trevorrow do his movie without any... It doesn't have to be, oh, this exact thing has to happen at this exact point in this movie, but you should know A, B, C, we start here, this is the middle, this is the end. They didn't have any of that going on. And so Ryan Johnson swerved from a lot of the questions that J.J. Abrams asked in The Forks Awakens are set up. And now J.J. Abrams has to swerve to either kind of go back to what he was kind of thinking with that stuff in The Force Awakens or try to uh, take that next step from where J Ryan Johnson put stuff. And it's, I think, tonally, these three movies, Force mm -hmm. Awakens and uh, Rise of Skywalker, I think are very going to be very tonally the same because it's the same filmmaker doing those stories, and that Last Jedi is just going to feel completely different. Yeah, and and let me clarify: as a movie, The Last Jedi was good. As a Star Wars movie, it sucked. Okay, yeah, I think it's a fair assessment. I think that's pretty much what I'm trying to explain. That yes, it sucked. It, it did. It, 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 it let us down. It was terrible. It tried too hard. I think that was really my consensus is it tried too hard. It lacked sort of the uh, spirit of adventure, I think, that yeah. um, well, we're it tried get... to be a little headier. And yeah. I know some people are really into that, and that's that's fine. Um, I really did, after the first viewing, have trouble with uh, Luke Skywalker, and I really wanted to see Luke be the Jedi that we had all expected him to be. Uh, but, you know, I, I have come to accept that that part of it I don't really have too much trouble with. No, I've come to accept that, too. I mean, at least they gave us a little bit of a morsel of kind of showing us. I do think it sucks that they killed him at the end because I think yeah. he could have drained himself uh, very much so mm -hmm. and played an integral role in this, this next movie. I was going to say, if they had killed him by the end of the trilogy, I would have been okay with that. But I think killing him in the second movie was just probably not smart. But 
I did watch The Last Jedi uh, a few weeks ago, and, you know, I didn't totally, I didn't totally hate it. There are some parts that I, I really do love in that movie, and then, you know, there's stuff that I don't like about it. I do think uh, some of the humor is a little out of place, and mm -hmm. I wish there's a little more for some of the classic characters to do, you know. It's really the last movie that we had Carrie Fisher for. They didn't know that this, because The Rise of Skywalker yeah. was really supposed to be her movie. But, you know, she does sort of spend half the movie in a coma, um, <laughs> which is not cool. Uh, so even though we had Carrie Fisher for this movie, the character didn't get to play as big of a part in it as maybe she could have. Uh, the fact that the characters at the end of the movie, like Luke and Leia, never really got to see each other again... Um, is sad to me, uh, both as from an in-universe standpoint and as a uh, just in, um, you know, the fact that those two characters never got to reconnect is is sad. And I feel the same way about them killing Han in The Force Awakens, that you got Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford all back together for this trilogy of movies, and you didn't, you weren't able to, to put them together. So, and I understand, I mean, J.J. Abrams said, or the, the writers of the, the Force Awakens said that part of the reason that they kind of ended up doing the Luke's in seclusion thing is because everybody loves Luke Skywalker. And when he is a protagonist in the movie, he starts to dominate the narrative of the movie. So sure. they kind of turned him into the MacGuffin. So I kind of get that, but it also robbed everybody of a great moment between Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, and Princess Leia, or General Leia, whatever she is. Uh, getting together. That would have been nice. You know, at least one more time. At least know. one more time. You know, I think that's that's where that goes. Um, but I'm looking forward to the, to the Rise of Skywalker. J.J. Uh, Abrams, I mean, I like the Star Trek movies. You guys can, can crap on Star Trek Into Darkness all you want. I think it's a fun movie. Um, and I think he'll do fine with The Rise of Skywalker. Well, it's going to be a nonstop adventure. It looks yes. like there's just going to be action in every single orifice of that movie it's going to be fun uh i like the fact to me it looks like that ray finn and poe are going to spend a lot of time together in this yes. movie instead of kind of being split up like they were because they didn't spend much time together in the force awakens mm -hmm. because you know finn and ray spent a lot of time together but poe and ray and finn didn't spend a whole lot of time together and then in the last jedi ray's off doing you know the the training stuff Finn and Poe are together for a little while, but then Finn goes on that mission to Canto Bight. Meanwhile, uh, Poe is leading a mutiny on, on his ship. And so, yeah, it's really not a very fun movie, is it? You know, yeah. now that I think about it. Because, you know, one of the fun things about the original Star Wars movies is that you had that dynamic of, like, those three people, you know. And now, you know, you have three people again. But you don't have those interactions well, to kind and, of really enjoy. Yeah, and they didn't spend a ton of time together in the original Star Wars movie, but they did spend time together. They didn't yes. spend any time together. Really, Ray, Ray Finn, and Poe didn't have a, a, a triple interaction. Movie. It was a setup movie, and you well, but they didn't spend a whole lot. They didn't. Of course, I guess the way they they set up this movie too, they didn't. In the Empire Strikes Back, at least you see Han, Leia, and Luke all interact together. And in this one, Ray's off on Acto training with Luke and yes. does not have any interactions really with, with Finn and Poe until the very end of the movie. Yeah. So it's not very satisfying. You don't feel that sense of camaraderie. Because because Luke hangs out with, you know, I guess they're not really hanging out on Hoth because who's <laughs> hanging out on Hoth? I mean, grab me some hot chocolate, will you? 
But, you know... It's not a party planet. It's not a party planet. But they did have that camaraderie, you know, and, and, and stuff. And they showed that there, that these people had been through... Some, you could clearly tell these people have been through some stuff, but they have formed relationships with each other, and Luke really cares about I mean, being Han stuck in a trash compactor from the first movie, that bonds you for life, pretty much. This trio of characters, the big three from this trio, has, has not had that opportunity. So they're no. sort of getting it in this reverse way in The Rise of Skywalker, because a lot of the scenes show them together. So... Uh, another thing, I don't know if you saw this week, but uh, we missed it by a couple months... A uh, month and a half or so, they did open the Rise of the Resistance ride at Disney World this week. Oh, cool. So we have to go back, basically. Yeah, and go ride I'll that. go back anytime. I've heard it's really good. Um, it's a very ambitious ride from Disney. They take you on a conveyance through a few different methods, and, you know, uh, it looked really good. There's a, there's a couple of videos on YouTube if you want to see kind of what the ride's like. Uh, it's really, really neat. They use a lot of uh, a lot of different methods to um, put you in the Star Wars world, and uh, they've got uh, voices. Uh, they've got John Boyega's in there doing Finn. They've got Adam Driver voicing Kylo Ren. Oh wow! They've got some very uh, good animatronics in there as well. Uh, I think I heard uh, Brendan Gleeson as well as Hux in there. You mean Domino Gleeson? Do- Domino Gleeson, yeah. Brendan Gleeson's his dad. Uh, I heard him as Hux in there as well. They've got animatronics, and it, it looked pretty cool. So huh. um, maybe one of these days we'll go wow. back there and totally Galaxy's Edge that. I would love to go there and just, like, ride Galaxy's Edge. All right, well, we'll move uh, really quickly through here and to our favorite part of the show. Just wait for the jingle. What are you reading? What are you writing? What are you writing or reading today? And what you didn't see is that I just did jazz hands in the background. We both did. <laughs> so what have you been reading? What have you been writing? What have you been doing with your life? I haven't been doing much. <laughs> I haven't really been writing. <laughs> Join been, the club. I I'll explain. Just, I am not. Yeah, I'm not very exciting right now. I have been reading um, or listening to an audio book. Uh, the book I'm reading right now is called uh, The Princess of the Hinterlands. Um, or the Hitherlands, sorry. The Hitherlands. Um, oh, I wrote... I think I originally wrote Hinter Islands. And so is it Hinter, Hither... Oh, it, it would be. Yeah, sorry. I'm having a moment. I don't know. I, I thought just, maybe I mistranscribed <laughs> all it. All I know is that it's a book um, about uh, Adela uh, Logan Hunt. And she was a... Um, very famous um, African-American. Well, she was part African-American, part white, part Cherokee. All hero. And she was <laughs> she was an educator um, and an activist and a suffragette. All hero, like I said. And she was uh, born during the Civil War. And uh, her mother was uh, part uh, Cherokee Indian and uh, <laughs> part... Um, white and her dad was african-american and so uh she basically grew up in servitude and uh she went to college and she was able to become a teacher at the tuskegee institute and during the 1920s the early 1900s and into the 1920s when women were 
wanting the right to vote, she became um, a suffragette. And not just a suffragette for all women. She really um, was representing kind of the colored uh, women. And so it, she is just a really fascinating person. But this was written by um, her uh, great-granddaughter who was named after her. Oh, okay. Okay. Adele Logan Alexander. So that's what I've been reading. You've been watching anything lately? No. No. I'm not that. I'm not that thrilling. Well, we've been watching. We haven't been really watching a lot. I mean, we've been watching The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. and we've been watching His Dark Materials. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which I've read those books by Philip Pullman, uh, starting with The Golden Compass. So it's like The Golden Compass, The Amber Spyglass, and The Subtle Knife are part of the His Dark Materials series. And then within the last, like, ten years, he's released, I think, like, two or three more books. Oh, really? They, they continued the story. I didn't know that. There's uh, Lyra's Jordan, um, The Book of Dust, and I can't remember what the third one is, but I haven't had a chance to read the other three. I'd like to. Um, but we're watching His Dark Materials on HBO, and it's mm-hmm. actually quite good so it's far. It's a BBC HBO co-production. I'm enjoying it very much. So much James McAvoy. I'm kidding. He was in it for five minutes. (laughs) He was in it for like the first episode and then we haven't seen him since. Supposedly he is being held captive by uh, animated bears. Yes. uh, CGI animated bears on Svalbard. I think for, I mean, I don't think it's quite Game of Thrones computer graphic special effects, but I think the animal effects are pretty good in that show for being a, for being a TV show. Definitely. Um, I like the little, I like uh, Lyra's little demon pan. Oh, yeah. Lyra's little pantaliman. Yeah. He's like a little uh, ferret. Little white ferret and can change, you know, uh, when they were in like the winter part, he got to something that had a little more of a fur coat to keep warm. Yeah, it was like a fox, an Arctic yeah, fox. Like a, yeah, like a white fox, I think. Arctic fox, like you said. Um, so we've been watching that and uh, I've not read the books like Anne um, I didn't really care for the Golden Compass all that much. The movie that was out a few years ago, they tried to kickstart this in the midst of the Harry Potter craze. They were looking for, you know, the next, uh, young adult fantasy series to put together. And so they did the Golden Compass. It was supposed to be a movie trilogy based on the original series of books and the, 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 the film tanked hard, even though you had Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman and I guess really the reason it failed was because you had Ian McKellen in it, but instead of actually having Ian McKellen in it, you just had him voice a polar bear. <laughs> and also had my man Sam Elliott in it as well. Oh, yeah. So it had a good great. cast. Um, and so it's kind of funny because I have seen that version. That's my familiarity with this world at all. And so there are echoes, obviously, of that movie in this series that we're watching because it's based off the same material, yet I don't remember the movie all that great. So, you know, I just was like, Lin-Manuel Miranda, oh, that's the character that was Sam Elliott last time. And (laughs) I don't even call Lord Asriel Lord Asriel most of the time. I'm like, that's Daniel Craig's character, right? (laughs) Yes. I'm I'm terrible. And then, like, the the evil woman, I'm like, that's Nicole Kidman's character, right? (laughs) Even though it's a different actress (laughs) in a different adaptation of the show. I'm terrible, but no, I, I've, I've enjoyed it. I think there's only a couple episodes left of the season. I don't know. I don't know what their plans are. I would assume multi multi season 
arcs yeah. to I'm, adapt the whole series. I'm hoping that they'll get the green light for another season or so. So uh, I don't know how well it's doing. I do know that another show is doing really, really well for HBO, and that is their takeoff on The Watchmen. Oh, yeah. Graphic novel. Well, and a couple of the episodes we've watched together, I've really enjoyed. Well, maybe we'll go back and watch the whole thing so that you know what what the hell's going on because well, i sort of know what's going on and you're very good about answering my questions it's just it's just tough because like the the watchman graphic novel that, that it's a sequel to it takes place about 30 years afterwards is a very dense story like it's multi-layered you know you're like oh it's a comic book or whatever but it, there's a lot to it and you you've gotten that sense because you know you'll be sitting down watching an episode with me and then you kind of get engrossed into it and then they're like oh this thing that happened and I'm like okay pause here let me tell you for 15 <laughs> minutes about the history of how this happened in the graphic novel yes. and why it relates to the <laughs> the TV show uh, but it it's pretty amazing I've thoroughly enjoyed it it's only got a couple episodes left um they had me at Jeremy Irons in that particular episode. If you've listened to the podcast before, you know that I love you Jeremy Irons. You fangirl hard for Jeremy Irons. And he's not in the show a ton, but I think he's going to play a big role here in the resolution of that. Uh, the book I'm reading right now, I started it last night, but I fell asleep. So I don't know if I'll continue it, but it's called Accidental Presidents. And it's about the eight different vice presidents who had been elevated on the roster to president due oh. to, uh, you know, death and, and such. And uh, they start, each one gets a chapter. And such. <laughs> and a very long chapter. And right now, my very long chapter to start things off is Zachary Tyler. Because oh. Tippecanoe's dead, now Tyler's too. So there you go. Wow. Nobody was, likes Zachary what Tyler. Was, uh, their, just out of curiosity, what was their theory on what killed William Henry Harrison? Uh, they believe that he contracted some sort of airborne disease from, uh, basically the open sewage that they had in Washington. Yeah, that's what I had wondered because they're, they've had everything from, uh, pneumonia to, uh, some th kind that, of... that was the long held thing was that he had gone out, he refused to wear a hat and a coat and he yes. basically caught a really bad cold that developed into pneumonia. And then later on, they started to say, you know, either he got some sort of a, like a stomach ailment, um, almost like a uh, type of dysentery mm -hmm. or like an airborne illness from the open sewer. So it's it's been kind of ranging. That's what this, this, um, this particular book, and this was a recent, I think it was published last year, uh, so the scholarship on it says they believe he was killed, uh, had contracted that pathogen from sort of the, the open sewer type of thing they had going on there, and that's what led to him dying. Gotcha. Yeah, because yeah. basically, if for those of you that don't know, back then Washington was basically on top of a swamp. It was basically just one big swamp in the middle of nowhere. So it was pretty easy for people to get ill from contaminated water or just from, you know, bugs, uh, disease carried pretty quickly, but out that way. So, so that, that's, uh, what I'm reading and they, they go through all the different guys. I cannot wait till we get to the Andrew Johnson chapter. It's going to be <laughs> Andrew great. Johnson, boy, boy blunder. blunder. Uh, let's see. I started a new, I haven't written a ton lately. Uh, that's my new year's resolution, but I did start a new star versus crimson story, my GI Joe knockoff. So I'm working on that one. 
it's about deep fakes. You know what those are? Videos where they have like replaced people's, uh, you know, like they take a, uh, they take like a, a video of the president and they like put different words in his mouth to make him look like he says something that he didn't say. Oh. Or uh, there's a, a YouTube channel called Derp Fakes, and a lot of times they will just take like they'll take the scenes from The Terminator with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they will use uh, learning machines to replace uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's face with Sylvester Stallone's so that Sylvester Stallone is the Terminator in those scenes. Huh. Uh, and that's called deep fakes. And it's just, it's, um, it's a thing that's uh, kind of an interesting field that is burgeoning right now. And it's kind of scary because the way stuff spreads on social media, uh, you really worry about somebody taking a video of Trump or Obama or something like that and having them say something outlandish. Yeah. And then it looks so real that you can't distinguish that from something that was not real and that it could cause, you know, uh, a panic or something like that. So uh, my Stars vs. Crimson story is sort of based on that technology, of course. Uh, the nefarious Cobra operation uh, that I call Crimson... <laughs> has taken the, the president's words and they've got uh, stars running missions uh, for the president, but they don't realize that it's actually not the president giving them orders. So huh. um, that's that short story. Then the other thing, part of the reason I haven't been writing a whole lot lately is because I did uh, do a bad thing and I bought Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order <laughs> yes. for the Xbox and I, I played uh, a lot of that game. And I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was tough. It was not exactly what I expected from a Star Wars game, which is usually sort of mindless fun. And it had a good story, good characters, but the combat system, I'm not uh, the skilled game player that I was maybe back in the 90s. And uh, this is a pretty tough game, uh, kind of uh, based on the, the block and parry system uh, that you might find in something like Demon's Souls or Bloodborne. Or Those are the games that people were comparing the combat system to. And I'm not real well-versed in those. I've never played those games. So, you know, I was just expecting to hack away at a lightsaber uh, with a lightsaber at stormtroopers and stuff. And that's not exactly how it goes. And then the other thing I didn't expect is that the game is, to its credit, it's a lot like Tomb Raider. Uh, you go, you explore things, you find secrets, mm. and you sort of raid some tombs, actually, in, in the course of the adventure. So uh, it had a great story to it. Uh, I like the main character. A lot of people are saying, oh, it's just another bland white guy Jedi. But I liked the kid. I thought he had some humor to him. And I loved, 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 loved <laughs> his little companion droid, BD-1. Oh, yeah. He was pretty cute. And my favorite thing about BD-1 is you can acquire, you acquire different skills as you progress throughout the game. One of the skills that you acquire is the ability to hack combat droids that the empire has so if you uh do enough damage to one of these they're the k2so droids uh espionage droids from the empire you do enough damage to them then you have the option to hack them and so bb bd1 will jump off your shoulder and go jump on the back of the the other droid and hack them and then they will attack your your enemies so you get a little bit of help but my favorite part about that is sometimes when he does that is he does this little yeah, anytime he does something adventurous, it's like he does that little... He does that little Rebel Alliance uh, Force-themed <laughs> yeah, thing. It's it's, it's really cool. And so I, I enjoyed that game. Uh, sank a lot of hours into it. 
Uh, I still have some, I, I've got lots of stuff to collect. I don't know if I'll go back and do all that or not, uh, because it is pretty tough, and some of those areas are pretty heavily guarded with a lot of Imperial Stormtroopers, but, eh, maybe I will, who knows. Took a little took a little break from the, the video game, though, because I did play that uh, a lot to try to get it finished, and, um... I did play about 75% of the game on the second to easiest difficulty, which for me, not being a guy who plays a lot of video games anymore, uh, was tough enough for me. And uh, then there were some battles that I really, really had trouble getting through. And I just wanted to progress through the story. So I went to the story difficulty, which does make you feel like a Jedi because you can do a lot of damage and use uh, your force powers a little bit more. And, um, but the, the last fight's still tough. I thought even, even on that mode and saw me playing it. I got my butt kicked and I didn't die. I got the, I got the bad guy down. Uh, but it was close. Like I had very little energy left. I'd used all my stem packs yeah. to regenerate the health. So it, it was, it was pretty tough, but I, I'd recommend it. Uh, just know that it's not exactly what you would expect from a Star Wars game. After I played that, I decided to go and play Battlefront 2, mm -hmm. which I bought last year for like 8 bucks during the holiday season. And my gosh, I am so crappy at first-person shooters. Like, I'm sitting on the couch playing this thing, and I'm like shaking the controller and shaking my fist at the screen. And I think Howie was just like, why is Daddy angry? <laughs> he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. Um, but it's okay, because... He'll let me, uh... It sort of reminds me of when my dad would get really mad, like, when Iowa would lose a football game, and he'd get so mad, and he'd, like, yell, and and then he'd look over, and we'd be, like, in the corner, like, huddled, like, why are you so mad? And he's like, Daddy's not mad at you. He's mad at the TV. He's mad at the football men. The football men did not do well. <laughs> so, well, we covered a lot here. Uh, a lot of Star Wars stuff. Um... An unexpected uh, William Defoe appearance with Togo, which is coming to Disney Plus sometime soon, hopefully, so we can watch that. We'll have a maybe we'll review that on this podcast. Maybe we will. We'll find our Togo Nation of people who want <laughs> to listen. Hashtag Togo. Hashtag Togo. <laughs> Anything else uh, on your mind, Anna Banana? No. Nothing else is on my mind for this episode. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for this edition of the Matt Adams Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Statomatty, S-T-A-T-O-M-A-T-T-Y, at Statomatty, or send me an email, matt at mattadamswriter.com, matt at mattadamswriter.com. And Anne, where can the people find you? Well, actually, I got my own handle. No, never mind. <laughs> she does have a Twitter account, but we don't talk about it on this show. Wherever Matt is. Or also maybe probably rubbing Howie's belly. Yeah, I probably am rubbing Howie's belly or, or you know, holding Willie or doing little... Is Lenny out? Yeah, I was going to oh, say, yep, or making, his tail. making faces with Lenny. So that's where you'll <laughs> find me. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.